Why do bad things happen to good people? One of the oldest books in the Bible addresses this age-old question about suffering. Job tells the story of a wealthy man who likely lived during the patriarchal period of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in the land of Uz, southeast of the Dead Sea. In a cosmic contest between God and Satan, Job loses his wealth, health, and family. The problem of pain and suffering in the world presents an irreconcilable challenge to many people's faith. For some, this problem is personal, not philosophical. Does the reality of pain and suffering stand in the way of your faith in God? If it does, you are not alone. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. just might be the oldest story ever written. And it comes your way next on this Friday edition of Something Good. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and thanks for joining us for today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. He was a wealthy man and a righteous man. He had a loving wife, 10 healthy children, and all the land and riches a man could hope to have. But his life of prosperity was about to become a season of pain. Ron takes you to his story today as he begins road trip number three of his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stay with us here or stop by our new digital streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with today's message. Job, why do the righteous suffer? On November 5th, 2006, a car was traveling rather recklessly on a road near Lynchburg, Virginia. And simultaneously, Andy and Linda Barrick were driving home from church with their two beautiful children in the back seat, Jen and Josh. And that's when a drunk driver behind this speeding car slammed head-on into the Barrick family. And um, every member of this godly family sustained life-threatening injuries. Jen was uh, not even thought to be, uh, to be able to make it through the night. But God miraculously intervened, and although she sustained traumatic brain injuries and multiple skull fractures, she lay in a coma for five weeks, 15-year-old Jen, before she woke up and began the long, long process of recovery. That's just one of perhaps many stories we could relate to this morning that uh, all beg the question, how can a loving God allow people that he created to endure such pain and suffering? And that really is the question of the ages, isn't it? The problem of pain and suffering in the world presents for some an irreconcilable challenge to their faith. And for some, like the barracks, that challenge is not philosophical. It is personal. 
Are you here today? And maybe the, the, the whole question that we're addressing this morning from the book of Job about pain and suffering in this world, that, that's what kind of stands between you and your relationship with God, and you just can't get past it. You need answers. Maybe it's philosophical. Maybe it's very, very personal. But if that describes you, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. And if that describes you, if that's where you are today, I say welcome to the Old Testament book of Job, one of five wisdom books in the Bible's Old Testament. Now, it should not surprise us that one of the oldest books in the Bible also addresses the age-old question about pain and suffering. Job tells us the story of a wealthy man who likely lived during the patriarchal period of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He lived, uh, according to uh, the book of Job, in the land of Uz, <laughs> uh, which is southeast of the Dead Sea. And what we learn in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Job is that there was this cosmic contest between God and Satan and Job was in the middle of this, and in the process, Job loses his, his wealth. He's a very wealthy man, but he loses all of it. He loses his health, and if you can imagine this, he, he loses his family, all ten of his children. Uh, but Job affirms his faith in God, and after he does, uh, he sits with his Three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. We're going to get to know these uh, three guys pretty well and a little bit of their, their philosophy of life. But they take turns debating reasons as to why Job is suffering. A little bit later in chapter 32, another young buck named uh, Elihu shows up, and he joins the conversation rather late. It's not until chapter 38 that God chimes in. He, he leans into the discussion. He breaks his silence, and he answers Job... <laughs> Well, the Bible says, out of the whirlwind, Job chapter 38 and verse 2, strap on your seatbelts, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job, dressed for action like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. And for the next several chapters, chapters 38 through 41 and even into 42, God takes Job on a tour of the universe and puts his human suffering into divine perspective. What a book this is. Arguably a, a story that is the oldest story in the Bible. The book itself was written you know, much later, but uh, chronologically could be placed uh, even, even before Genesis. Let's talk a little bit about the problem of pain and suffering, at least from a theological or a philosophical point of view. Um, the, the problem of pain and suffering affects the world broadly, but actually the book of Job narrows the subject down to this question. Why do the righteous suffer? In other words, why do bad things happen to good people? Job was a good man. He was a godly man. In fact, he received uh, the ultimate commendation from God when God asks Satan in chapter 1 and verse 8, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Uh, you hear uh, God's description of Job, and you've got to ask yourself, of all people, why does Job suffer? I mean, what's up with that? Well, we could argue that sin and the fallen world in which we live, and we live in a fallen world, broken and stained by sin, that answers the broader question about pain and suffering. Suffering was never part of God's original plan. He's not a sadistic deity who enjoys inflicting pain on those he created in his image. Uh, he's not like the, the little boy who enjoys uh, uh, 
destroying ants and inflicting pain and frying ants on the sidewalk with his magnifying glass. That's not God. God is not the evil boy in the Toy Story movie who does horrid things with his toys. No, that's not God. However, God did create us with free will, did he not? Knowing that we will suffer the consequences of our poor moral choices and that such sinful choices have a ripple effect. One person's sinful choice affects another and so on. Imagine billions of people making sinful, selfish choices from generation to generation and you have some idea of why there's so much pain and suffering in this world. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that in a fallen world, the whole creation groans. Even nature itself is hostile in a world that is broken by sin. This is why Milton said we live in paradise lost, not paradise. And that perspective is important to have. We don't live in paradise. We live in a broken, sin-stained world that is full of pain and suffering and ripple effects into people's lives. But still, the skeptic concludes that if God is powerful enough to prevent suffering and he does not, then that just means he doesn't care. Or if he cares, but he can't do anything about it, then that means he's not all-powerful. That's how the skeptic reasons in his mind. But the book of Job presents an alternative. It presents us with a God who is both all-powerful and immensely compassionate at the same time, but who allows suffering for his own wise purposes, which mere humans, that's you and me, with limited knowledge can never fully comprehend. And thus, we have the book of Job. Now let's uh, rewind a little bit and spend a little bit more time in chapters 1 and 2 where Uh, we receive a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening that Job and his three friends never get. But the book of Job opens with Satan, the accuser of the saints, in the presence of God. Satan admits that he's been going to and fro across the earth, an indication that he's not omnipresent. He's not in all places at all times like God is. No, he's he's location-specific, and he comes back from you know, his uh, journeying on the earth. And the Lord asks him to consider Job a righteous man. And uh, Job, uh, Satan, rather, begins to challenge the underlying assumption that Job fears God for all of the right reasons. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Game on. Game on. And the Lord gives Satan permission, permission to test Job. Satan is not omnipresent, and he's not in all places at all times. He's not omniscient, doesn't know all things. And he's not all-powerful. Whatever he does, he does on a leash and only by God's permission. First comes the news that uh, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans raided Job's many livestock. He was a wealthy, wealthy man. It's all gone. Another reported that fire fell from heaven and burned up Job's sheep and his servants. Still another brings the worst news that Job could have ever heard. All 10 of his children died in a tornado. They were at the eldest son's house just having a party, you know, enjoying dinner together. 
and a tornado ripped through the neighborhood and all 10 of them died. How, how does a man of God respond to such news? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for Job. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Job, Why Do the Righteous Suffer? If you're new to the program, we want you to know that we archive all of Ron's messages at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, use the Partner tab at the top of the homepage to check out the 828 Club, a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can keep sharing the truth of God's Word the whole year through. Join the 828 Club from our website or give us a call at 757-276-1099. That's 757-276-1099. Even after losing his wealth and all 10 of his children, Job never once accused God of any wrongdoing. The rest of the story comes your way next in the second half of today's Something Good Radio message, Job, Why Do the Righteous Suffer? Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Couldn't even imagine the loss in one day. And amazingly, the Bible says in chapter one and verse 20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and, and worshiped. <laughs> he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. No wonder Job had gotten God's attention. No wonder Job says, hey, you know, Satan, have you considered Job? He's, he's right up there. Well, his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day got worse. Chapter 2 reveals a second interaction between God and Satan. This time, the devil ups the ante. He says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, skin for skin. All that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to, to, his, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Notice the limitations here. Only spare his life. Okay. Spare his life. And this time Satan attacks Job, the Bible says, with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And this is where we first meet Job's wife, Mrs. Job. Oh, my. She looks at his, uh, her husband scraping his sores, and she says, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And the Bible says again, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. End of chapter 2. End of the behind-the-scenes look. Chapter 3 begins with Job cursing not God, but cursing the day he was born. And can you blame him? I mean, there, there he is. He's, he's lost his wealth. He's lost his health. He lost his 10 children in a tornado, and he's got a wife who's not an encourager, but you know, telling him to curse God and die. Give up your faith, Job. This isn't working. Um, the, the, from chapter 4 onward to, um, to chapter 37, 
and it's a long stretch. Uh, we, we have a section we might call the, the consolation of Job's friends. And there are six characters in all that appear in the book of Job. It's, of course, Job, uh, Eliphaz the, uh, the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, Elihu and God. Actually, seven characters, and there's Satan as well. Um, and the bulk of the book contains counsel from three men who were um, uh, older, presumably wiser, who heard of Job's troubles and they traveled from a long distance to come and console him. And although they're well-intended, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they sound like know-it-alls who lack compassion and any sense of, of empathy. Like Job, they are limited in their knowledge about life and uh, their theology. And you read their dialogue with Job and, and you, what you hear is dogmatic rhetoric that suggests they are as blind to the ways of God as Job is. They too have limited knowledge. But they also have a lot in common, including a narrow theology that believes that all of calamity and all of pain and suffering in life is the result of personal sin. Job, you sinned. You got into this mess because of your own you know, rebellion against God is kind of the summation of uh, these three gentlemen. Kind of reminds me of the time when the disciples came to Jesus in John chapter 9 and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus goes, what? what do you? Yeah, guys, you have a narrow theology, a narrow understanding of pain and suffering. And he went on to explain uh, there was purpose in this man's pain, and so forth. And like a trio of tenors in perfect harmony, uh, Job's friends sing the same sorry song. Job, uh, you, you got into this mess because you did something wrong. And quickly their consolation turns into, well, uh, sometimes polite contention and sometimes not. And sometimes their words are like arrows piercing Job's heart. And you walk away from this section asking yourself, well, who needs friends like this? But let's explore their philosophy of pain and suffering a little bit more, starting with Eliphaz. Eliphaz is the oldest among the three, and uh, maybe he went first and speaks first because um, you know, he was the oldest and perceived to be the wisest. Not surprisingly, he relies heavily upon his personal experience, and he uses phrases like, as I have seen, and as for me, it's an older gentleman uh, just drawing upon his life experiences to try to explain to Job why he's experiencing the pain and suffering he's experiencing. For example, with an air of politeness, Eliphaz says in chapter 4 and verse 8, As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In other words, Job, you got yourself into this mess. And then he draws upon, uh, Eliphaz does, from his own personal school of hard knocks again when he says in chapter 5 and verse 7, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. Have you heard that one before? Maybe you've seen it on a bumper sticker. Eliphaz is full of pithy sayings like that that are easy to post on social media but lack theological depth. He's a bumper sticker guy, you know. And someone should tell Eliphaz that too much reliance on one's personal life experience ignores the fact that everybody's experience is limited. So be careful with that. Be careful trying to step into somebody's life and explain to them from your own personal life experience why this is happening to them. And then there's Bildad. Bildad is a bloviator. He just... 
Oh my goodness. His, um, his speeches appear in chapters 8, 18, and 25. He's, he's more direct and less courteous than Eliphaz is. He begins in chapter 8, uh, Job, how long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? <laughs> in other words, Job, you're a giant windbag full of words you should just keep to yourself. Now, who needs a friend like Bill Dad? Just go away, Bill Dad. We don't need you around here. Unlike Eliphaz, Bildad relies upon long-established and inherited ways of thinking. Tradition and customs are what compel him and give him understanding. For example, in chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, he implores Job. He says, for inquire, please, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing. For our days on earth are a shadow. Will they, that is the, the ancient traditions and the traditions of the elders, will not they teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? Uh, later in chapter 18, Bildad appears to draw from the writings of some ancient uh, sages from the east, and he quotes them at length uh, in chapter 18, verses 5 through 21. I, I kind of get the sense that Bildad would find comfort and ease with the Pharisees in the New Testament, traditionalists. Uh, Jesus often took aim at the tradition of the elders. Chapter 15 of Matthew, Jesus said to the Pharisees, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You know, and he was always uh, crosswise with the traditionalists, uh, those Pharisees. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of build I think I think Job discovered there's nothing worse than being lectured by a Pharisee like Bildad. And then there's Zophar. Uh, Zophar speaks last among the trio of Job's friends. Um, uh, his words, quite honestly, are, are, have a sharper edge to them, if you can imagine, than either Eliphaz or Bildad's words. Uh, he, he speaks rather rudely in chapter 11 and verse 2. He says, should a multitude of words, Job, go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? <laughs> um, Zophar is the guy who doesn't know what he doesn't know, but what he does know, he thinks he's absolutely correct. You ever met you Zophar? But he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Are you suffering today? Have you lost things and people you held dear? As hard as it may seem, Learn to say, as Job did, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be his holy name. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, Job, Why Do the Righteous Suffer? Along with all of Ron's messages can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to check out a discipleship coaching experience developed by Dr. Ron Jones called Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps in Starting Point. Ron takes you back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith and helps equip you to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. To find Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, look for Something Good Courses when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support of friends like you. 
For your gift to Something Good Radio, we'll send you a new resource written by Dr. Ryan Jones that goes along with this current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's an ebook based on the five Old Testament books of wisdom, Job through Song of Solomon. This content is available for a limited time to our monthly partners or for anyone who sends a gift today. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456, or call our offices at 757-276-1099. And that's the whole point of the story. The space between our limited human knowledge and God's divine wisdom is exactly the space where faith fits. And faith is something that God highly values. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six says, without faith it's impossible to please God. That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, Job, why do the righteous suffer? Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.